Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware deals. That's alienware.com slash deals. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It's that time of the week. Once again, one of our favorite times of the week. It is our listener mail segment. Uh, every Thursday, Matt, Noel, and I comb through different forums, uh, different social media outlets. We go to our phone line. We check the emails. We read every single email we get. And our only regret is that we can't do every single piece of listener correspondence in one show because that show would be several weeks long. I, I can't even imagine Every how we figure week. out where to where to put the commercials. Yeah, so mm-hmm. uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the ethics of medical implants. Uh, we're going to explore a strange mansion in Long Island, and we're also going to learn the a somewhat obscure story of a pretty badass guy named Marcus Hutchins. 
Uh, and maybe we start there today. Have you guys ever heard of Marcus Hutchins? I have not. No, not until we were made aware. Yes, yes. And that's why that's why our fellow conspiracy realists are such a big part of the show. We have a Facebook page called Here's Where It Gets Crazy, where a lot of our fellow listeners share ideas, uh, follow up with questions, uh, post some of the dankest memes on the Internet as determined <laughs> arbitrarily by us. Uh, and thanks to our pal Brett G. Brett, I hope you're listening. Uh, we owe you one. Thanks to you, Brett. We learned the story of a guy named Marcus Hutchins. So Marcus Hutchins was uh, he had his online handle was malware tech, all one word. And he's what people outside of the infosec community would just call a hacker. Uh, he is <laughs> he's a pretty young dude. He's born in 1994 and if you have heard of him, you have almost certainly heard of him due to uh, a Wired article that uh, came out in 2020, written by Andy Greenberg. Let me just give you the headline here. The Confessions of Marcus Hutchins, the hacker who saved the internet. At the tender age of 22, this guy put a stop to the worst cyber attack the entire planet had ever experienced up to that point. And then Uncle Sam arrested him. <laughs> so he's fine now. He's he's fine now, but let's let's talk about what happened. So there was a ransom attack back in 2017 called WannaCry and or ransomware I should say. Ransomware is where some malicious actor takes over your computer and demands payment or in some cases may demand compromising photos or information with the idea being that if you pay up this ransom, whatever it is, then you will regain control of your machine. It's a nasty business to find yourself in. Obviously, it's illegal. But before 2017, no one had taken it to the scale of WannaCry. This was a crypto worm. This, whenever we talk about this stuff, it reminds me of that uh, that excellent film, Hackers, with Angelina Jolie and who else was in there? The bad guy was on a skateboard. Yeah, what was his name? The dude that was also in, in Scream. Scream. Yeah. Uh, which is oh gosh, Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Oh wow, he's out of it. left field. Nicely done. Uh -huh. Also in Scooby Doo, sure. which I think is his, also true. His real passion project. Well, this is like a real life hacker story. Because WannaCry used an exploit in Microsoft Windows Server Messenger block. This allowed it to get into so many computers that were using Windows. It started on, on the 12th of May, and people believe that it started in North Korea. And then in the space of 24 hours, it spread to more than 230,000 computers in 150 countries. So it traveled around the world, quite literally, in the space of a day. And you could only unlock this computer if it was infected by sending Bitcoin to this anonymous account. On the same day this occurs, Hutchins gets wind of it. And he was on vacation at the time, but this guy is so driven, he's just in his bedroom and he starts reverse engineering the code 
And he starts, you know, he's doing forensics at this point. And he figures out that the malware has this weird looking domain name that it's tied to. So he thinks it could be part of a botnet at first. But then he finds out, hey, hello, the domain name is not registered. So he registers the domain and then he sets up servers to act as honeypots and it allows them to sort of track the infected computers. This is all happening very quickly. And while he's doing this, the worm is continuing to spread. And while it was spreading, other people, of course, are panicking across the planet and they look into this and they find that Hutchins had registered this domain name. And because of how quickly he did it, he was able to cut off the flow of this world-eating ransomware. And he was working with a company called Cryptos Logic. They buddied up with the National Cybersecurity Center in the United Kingdom, and they spent the next days giving some TLC to those honeypot servers to protect them against a lot of DDoS, distributed denial of service attacks. And then eventually, France, or some cybersecurity researchers based in France, found a way to unlock and decrypt those infected computers without giving up the Bitcoin. And this is when things actually start to go wrong for this poor guy. Like, so far, he's a hero, right? He's like, this is God-tier level white hat hacking. Uh, he is, he's like... He's saving state-level actors at this point as a 22-year-old in his bedroom. This feels like it'd be an amazing, an amazing film, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, it would, I honestly think it would be an amazing film, but that's because of what happens next. So everybody at first is goo-goo gaga over this guy. They're singing his praises, this, uh, this mysterious Hutchins kid, you know what I mean? He's like the Mickey Mantle of good hackers now, or the, I, I guess, LeBron James of good hackers. That sports reference does work. Okay, I had to check. Uh, so he, uh, <laughs> he eventually um, comes under the scrutiny of the press, which doesn't play around, and they figure out his government name. Malware tech, they find, is actually this Marcus Hutchins kid. He tried to avoid the press, but especially tabloids in the United Kingdom, like the Daily Mail and the Sun, they're notorious for like getting into people's lives. Some of these tabloids published his government name and his address. They did the print version of doxing him. And he did try to do one interview to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm not a hero. We don't have to talk about anything malware tech may have done in the past. Let's just be happy that we haven't been eaten by this worm virus. Uh, and he goes to DEFCON, and this is in 2017. And this is, this is interesting because, guys, we used to go to CES, the Consumer Electronics Showcase, that was held in Las Vegas. And sometimes, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but sometimes they would overlap. And you would have to try to figure out, like, is this someone who's excited about the new Toyota 3D audio technology, or are they setting up fake uh, Wi-Fi hotspots to grab people's, you know, banking info just for fun? Sure. Yeah. It seems like um, a great yeah. confluence, right? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It seems like there, I bet you there have been some very fascinating 
late night conversations in casinos, right? It's cool stuff. So Hutchins is kind of, at this point, he's like a celebrity. And he goes to DEFCON where he is lauded, of course, as a hero. But the streets are watching and the alphabet's watching too. And so he's getting ready to go back to England from DEFCON on August 3rd, 2017. I'm starting to think I might have been at CES then, or one of us may have been. I may have been. Anyway, so he is arrested by the FBI. He's arrested on six federal hacking charges uh, for creating and spreading another thing, a kind of banking malware called Kronos. Because why was he so good at stopping WannaCry? Because he knows how to build this stuff. (laughs) And he's done it before. So he's like, so it makes sense that he said, I'm not a hero. He probably didn't want people to figure out that he had been involved in these things. They found that he had been selling this software, almost franchising it. They found uh, some of the conversations he had had with colleagues. And he eventually says, okay, you got me. He confesses while he's questioned in jail in Vegas. And then he alerts some compatriots who spread the word, almost like a virus, you could say. And people started going nuts. A lot of folks came together to help him make bail. uh, And sadly, or hilariously enough, when they were crowdsourcing this, some of the money to make bail for him did come from like stolen credit cards and Bitcoin. So somebody probably used some malware to help get this guy out. Uh, But people were concerned that like a lot of conspiracy theories started to spread. And people were saying, you know, the FBI locked up Hutchins because the FBI was actually behind, you know, WannaCry. And we talked, I I could swear we talked about WannaCry back in the day when it came out. Definitely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a very striking name. It's hard to forget that one. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't remember. I think it was in a larger episode about hacks or, you know what, Matt? I think it was you maybe brought it as a uh, strange news uh, segment. Maybe. That was, it's been a while, but I, I just seem to associate Wanna Cry with you for some reason. But okay. uh, yeah, I feel like no, you that's had, just my disposition, I think. You just make me want to cry <laughs> out of joy. I feel like we had, I, I know we had definitely talked about it, but uh Listeners, remind us. <laughs> Can you help us out? Remind us whether or not we did an episode on this. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a fascinating story, and it's instructive because from there we start to go into the realm of true crime and backroom dealings. It's weird because he gets barred from leaving the country because he's part of an ongoing investigation. So other people in the community help find him a temporary place to live. He lives in L.A. for a while. He gets arraigned. He pleads not guilty. He's put under house arrest. And then he gets curfew limits and uh, all these other things. They go hard on him for the first few months. But he had definitely decided to plead not guilty as a way of making a m- making the way for a plea bargain with the FBI. Uh, and the FBI was negotiating with him. They wanted him to flip on a couple of other other hackers or other activities, they said, look, if you play ball with us, we'll reduce your sentence. You'll still, you'll still get in trouble, right? You'll still have consequences, but none of those will be prison time. 
And that's a very tempting offer to make somebody. Uh, so he said, look, I'm not going to play ball with this. And they responded by saying, okay, we're going to add four more charges to the docket for you, buddy. And this was, you know, in retaliation uh, for him not playing ball. Fast forward 2019, he pleads guilty to, there's a total of 10 charges now. He pleads guilty to two. And his statement is basically chalking this up to being a dumb kid who was very intelligent and had a lot of time on his hands. Uh, he eventually got sentenced to time served because he'd been on a house arrest and, and uh, one year of supervised release. And the judge who made this decision could have given him five years in the clink and $2,500,000 in fines just for those two charges. But the judge said, you know, you, he's doing the right thing. Uh, and so we're not going to put him under the jail. And uh, this is happening now. I, I think as we record, he is hopefully back in the UK. He did say he liked LA, but he is uh, hopefully back in the UK. And now we have to ask, human beings are rarely one thing. One person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. And you might be a hero or a villain, depending on the perspective of the people with whom you interact. In this case, I wanted to ask you guys and our, our fellow listeners an interesting thing that Brett brought to us with this story. Can we say this guy is a hero? I think we can. I think he, we can say he did a heroic thing. He did. Yes, he did. Well, he did a difficult thing and it provided a lot of good, right? By by neutralizing the WannaCry uh, malware. If you read the, the Wired article from Andy Greenberg, the Confessions of Marcus Hutchins, the hacker who saved the internet, it, the detail in there about some of the things he did as a teenager, <laughs> I mean, I feel like Marcus knew he was doing some shady stuff that wasn't going to yeah. turn out well for a lot of other people that weren't him, and he was getting Ooh. paid for it. So I, I don't know, man. I don't know how I feel about this yet. <laughs> but then again, if he had not if he had not committed those acts, if he didn't have that expertise, then WannaCry would have continued to sweep like biblical fire across the planet. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Would have absolutely ravaged the internet. Um, we see this a lot though, guys. I mean, we see examples of I forget what it was. Gosh, it was something we talked about very recently where somebody saw some source code um, and realized something was not protected. Like, 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 like looking at some source code, um, realized that some internet service or site or something was, was very, very, very unprotected and then reported it and then got in trouble for hacking. But all they really did was look at the source code. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm mm. not doing a good job of uh, remembering exactly what this is, but this is a thing that happens relatively frequently, which makes uh, people with internet expertise like this who could do good, very reticent to report anything to anybody in a position of authority, which I understand why, uh, because things like this happen. Yeah. And, and there is, you know, that's a good point. And there is much more to the story. Uh, we're going to pause just for a moment uh, for a word from our sponsors. And while we're on the break, 
let us know some of your favorite little-known stories from the world of cybercrime and cybersecurity. Again, huge, huge shout-out to fellow conspiracy realist Brett G. Uh, We can't wait to go down the rabbit hole with you all. Uh, We'll be back for some more messages from you. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids, but I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. We are back, and we are jumping to the voicemail system. Let's see what we can find there in the form of a message from Talbot. He's such a pleasant voice, man. Yay! Here we go. This is this is from Talbot. Hi. Uh, you can call me Talbot. I live in Glen Cove, New York, on Long Island very close to uh, the Killamorth Estate, which is a 36-acre estate that was built, I believe, in the 1930s on the Gold Coast of the North Shore, uh, among J.P. Morgan Estate and many other uh, huge mansions. Right now, and I think for probably the past 50 or 60 years, the mansion has been occupied by what's called the Russian Mission to the U.N., uh, I really don't know much about the place. Obama, I know, had expelled some of these people back during his presidency. And uh, nobody really knows what is going on there. Uh, it's said to be a place where Russian diplomats can stay and then go speak at the U.N. That also has been uh, 
said it could possibly be a center for Russian espionage. Uh, the townspeople and the mayor, the people around the county, uh, rightfully so, would like these people to be paying taxes and to be expelled. Or if you guys know anything about it or that we don't know, it would be great. Or uh, if you don't, it would be cool to let more people know and bring attention to the issue because these people should want to be paying taxes to not be invading uh, foreign countries or innocent people. Uh, I love your podcast. Thank you very much. There I love the go. name Talbot, too. Yes. Name. Talbot is, in this instance, a reference to a book that uh, Talbot let us know, written by Nelson DeMille, I believe is how you say the author's name, and it is titled The Talbot Odyssey, and it deals with, I believe, the Killenworth Mansion or estate or whatever you want to call it, the Killenworth giant friggin' 52-roomed house that exists. Yeah, it's, it's palatial. <laughs> I, I want to see, Matt, before you kick us off here, I, I want to make a point that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will agree with. This is not a ding against the USSR or Russia specifically. This is solely an observation. You should always assume that an embassy or a foreign, you know, a, a foreign run structure in another country is at least occasionally home to acts of espionage. That's <laughs> how the game works. That's like saying, you know, I wonder why these hippos are so hungry. Does anybody else think that's weird? The name of the game is Hungry <laughs> Hippos. So, yeah, of course, there's, I, I think there is going to be espionage, but it is interesting that this is technically just like their country house right it is it's their it's their country house their vacation house that happens to be on u.s soil that was purchased by the soviet union when the soviet union was a thing so let let's jump to the history a little bit of this mansion itself and everyone i do apologize but you're you're also welcome because we're going to learn about it together i'm going to wikipedia and I'm going to soapbox on it for one moment here. I go to Wikipedia every time we talk about any subject, because if you scroll all the way down, you get the links mm -hmm. to where all of the information came from on there. And then from there, you can kind of spider web out to learn the story of something. Uh, highly, I would highly recommend it uh, for anyone. If you're just doing research in general, even for school, use Wikipedia for what it is, which is a giant collection of links to information. It's a bibliography. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful. Uh, preaching the old Wikipedia game, Matt Frederick, you're getting old. <laughs> All right. So uh, <laughs> so if we look at the history of Killenworth, uh, according to the sources found on Wikipedia, it was originally created in 1912 for a gentleman named George DuPont Pratt, P-R-A-T-T. -T. Yes, like Chris Pratt, but I doubt it is the same family. Um it, you'll recognize the name DuPont. We've spoken about that family several times here and in other shows. Uh, very, very wealthy family. Uh, so you can imagine that a DuPont Pratt had lots and lots of money, or at least the estate and the family did, to create this giant mansion. Uh, it existed as a mansion, as you know, uh, a house, essentially, for many years, up until 1950, 1951, when the Soviet Union came in and purchased the thing. And it was, as you said, Ben, going to be used as a country house, a vacation house, a place for diplomats to go and visit. 
people such as uh, Nikita Khrushchev, who went and stayed there in the 60s. And to learn a little bit more about that, you can jump over via New York Times system. It's like their um, archive system that you can access, that Mm -hmm. anybody can access. You do, I think, have to subscribe to get full access, though. Uh, But you can jump to an article written by the New York Times August 8th, 1982, titled Russians, Long a Thorny Issue, written by John T. McQuiston. And in this article, you can actually read about, I mean, a bit of the history of this place, but as well as the issues there in Glen Cove, this part of Long Island, New York, uh, the issues that the county and the city have had with this particular building and the people who own it because they don't pay taxes on this property. <laughs> and uh, that that recently has come up. There have been very recent protests in the past three years over this property and the taxes that are not paid by the owners because it is, it is no longer Soviet held. It is Russian held. It is the, uh, what did Talbot call it? Because he was correct. I believe he called it the Russian mission to the UN. Maybe it's a delegation. It was titled the Soviet mission to the United Nations. The group that purchased the, the home back in 1951 was titled the Soviet mission to the United Nations. So I think it, I think it might be the same thing, just now the Russian version of that. And it is still used to this day by Russian diplomats and other high up folks. It's like a hospitality house kind of situation. Uh, it's a it's a place to stay when in the United States. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, like like, like accommodations. Yeah, it's like their iHeart Hotel. Kidding. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> but it is. It totally is. It is. It's a it's a it's a place where you can go. They make use of beaches that are there, like the public beaches that exist out there, which are lovely. I hear uh, tennis courts, you know, golf, all the, all the things that a fancy person might make use of when you're in town staying at a 52 home palatial estate. <laughs> um, and oh, the other thing, there are so many gripes in that area, by the way, about the Russian diplomats who come in and get discounted prices on like the passes to go and park at the beach, you know, that everybody in town has to pay for, but they get discounts. Small town <laughs> stuff. I love it. I love a good small town conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but that's not the real conspiracy, right? The real conspiracy Ooh. is the thing that Talbot said right at the end of the message. Like there have been all sorts of rumors about this place and the people who live there, or at least visit there, and the espionage that they might be getting into. And we've talked on this show so many times about the kind of dual role of embassies. And, you know, the title of diplomat and the State Department of any state of any country. And, and in a way, it is a method of keeping tabs on what others are doing in a country, right? Uh, it's, it's a way of maybe light spying. And there's a great opportunity for more heavy spying if you're in that position with diplomatic immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's no difference here in this case it's just a ridiculous palatial estate rather than you know an embassy on the corner of some main strip in a city yeah and there's no way to get in i just love a good punny headline in the new york post article matt that you pointed out uh, on this one by todd farley is how long island became a hotbed of espionage during the cold war hotbed cold war cold war it's cute oh yeah yeah. oh yeah 
It's I I gotta <laughs> ask though, and this is for us, everybody listening, this is for you too, Talbot. Uh one thing that was interesting, you know, Matt, you posted some some great links and research here. And I was I did the same thing too with the Wikipedia article. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a great primer. Uh, and it also lets you know how well or poorly written a wiki article is, because if you check those sources and you see that they're going to 404s or they're going to dead sites, things like that, then you know the, that the info is probably sus. But this one is back in the news, and there are some great starting sources. I liked uh, New York Curbed, which was just mm-hmm. out earlier last month. And I think right now, I think it's fair to say that the thing that's bothering the Nassau County people so much is not that they have proof of what's happening, but it's two things. It's one, the tax situation, but I think secondly, it's the fact that this is such a black box. Very few non-Russian staff or people have been getting access there. I think there was a local historian who got a tour because he gave them some photographs of the mansion when it was being built. And they called him like four weeks later. They were like, come on. And they were very nice and hospitable. Well, now that Russia is, you know, persona non grata uh, again in a large way, what's what's to become of this uh, facility? Is it going to be taken back over and, and re-co-opted by, by Uncle Sam? There are many who want something like that to occur. I feel like that's highly unlikely. There are many who just want the government to step in and say, yes, this property needs to pay taxes because it would provide something pretty hefty. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes per year to to the the county and surrounding county school system and, and everything like that. Yeah. For a snapshot, um, the New York Times article back in 1982 said the city was, according to Glen Cove's mayor, losing a hundred thousand dollars a year on this, uh, twenty five thousand in taxes for the town, twenty five thousand for the county, and then fifty thousand for the school districts. Won't someone think of the children, you guys? Uh, that that was part of the argument. But you know the way that the economy works, we we can only rightfully assume that number has dramatically increased over the past decades. So yes. they're not making that up. It, it no. is a, a drain on the economy. It is. Uh, recently, the a Nassau County executive named Bruce Blakeman uh, was speaking at, at least right next to or maybe even on the grounds. Maybe it was like right out front of the grounds. But CBS News covered it. And I'll give you a quick quote right here. Mr. President. President Biden, expel these Russians from Nassau County. We don't need them here. And let's get this property back on the tax rolls so the people of Nassau County and Glen Cove don't have to finance thugs and dictators and people who invade innocent countries. Wow. Sometimes you can agree with people and still not (laughs) (laughs) dig their vibe. (laughs) But, But like, yeah. To your question, Noel, like these things can be shut down or effectively repossessed, uh, but it it takes it, it's not usually the host country's first move because it makes you look bad to all the other countries. And they'll say, well, are we going to be safe? And they'll have a tough time believing you because you'll seem unpredictable. And I think, yeah, you mm-hmm. we already mentioned, right? Like 
Russian compounds have been shut down in the past, post-Soviet era, uh, primarily because of concerns about elections interference at least Mm -hmm. so look i think this is another one we may be able to dig deep enough into to get a whole episode out of i'd be interested in yeah uh in the new york post article that you mentioned here how long island became a hotbed of espionage during the cold war there's mention that was from 2021 by the way uh written by todd farley you can find uh mention in there of plum island that we have discussed before where you know the, the thought is that perhaps this is the origin point for uh, what was it, Lyme disease, and maybe a few other right. things where there's chemical biological testing being done. Also, uh, that's where you can get a room with a window and a view of a tree and a oh. walk on the beach. <laughs> Plum Island, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's where they're going to send Hannibal Lecter. That, that, that's the negotiating chip they use in Silence of the Lambs, uh, where they say they're going to give him a private um, incarceration on Plum Island. Or no, maybe it's once a year he can go there. Anyway, as he says, and a view of a tree. Um, there's also a really great article that you posted that's like a legacy Times, New York Times article from 82 by John T. McQuiston that, that goes into this, uh, shows how long this has been something that's being uh, discussed and kind of a thorn in the side of um, the United States. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. George DuPont Pratt. He's got enough <laughs> money to build a 52 room house. Yes. <laughs> What's that feel that like it? when you're just being a person and you got that I, much you know, money? He's, he's Did you watch like, West Side Story too, man? I have problems like everybody else, you know? Sometimes <laughs> the left footman who handles my left stockings doesn't show up at the same time as the right footman. And there I am, <laughs> appearing as an imbecile in front of Caddy all the Wampus, staff. Wampus, my pantaloons <laughs> are askew. <laughs> uh, I think we could do this episode even bigger. As a matter of fact, Talbot, mm-hmm. I think we can take this uh, across. Well, it'll be, it'll be a two-parter if we take it across the world, but it's an episode if we just go across the U.S. and North America, Mexico, U.S., Canada, and look at mysterious ownership of buildings. Because there are way more out there than you think. Um, yeah. And maybe yep. way more out there than we would like there to be. <laughs> yes. Guys, I'm going to give you the last line of that New York Times article, the one you just mentioned, Noel, uh, just to leave us here. In 1982, they had to mention, because they're talking about the Soviet embassy or the Soviet property in the United States, so they gave a little tidbit about the property the U.S. uses in the Soviet Union at that time. This is just, I'm going to read this verbatim. The United States rents an eight-acre estate with a five-bedroom house outside Moscow near Tarasovka. According to State Department officials, all property belongs to the government of the Soviet Union. United States embassy workers in Moscow also use a public pool, tennis courts, and basketball and volleyball courts, and a softball field, just as Soviet officials in New York City are free to use Central Park and its public tennis courts and the city's other recreational facilities. Guys, we are all one okay. in our recreational facilities. It's that. the perfect communist plot. <laughs> they're coming for the public, the public pools. They're coming for the, the national park scenic vistas. Insidious. But it really is a good, I don't know. I feel like there's something really great about that, of being able to, sh- to show diplomats from another country, even if tensions are high with that country, to show hospitality and say, no, look, check out, check it out. This is what we're about. This is oh, what yeah. we do. Yeah. In this case, yeah. I think the giant mansion might be a little um, not what the U.S. is really like. Well, 
I, I do want to say this is one important point. Uh, that that is a tremendously powerful form of soft diplomacy, as well as uh, as well as being just hospitable as a host country. Like uh, there was a situation with Khrushchev years and years back, where one of the main things he wanted to do when he spoke with President Eisenhower wasn't really sort out the the nuclear war that was on the horizon. I mean, yes, that was the official reason. But he really wanted to go to Hollywood, and he really wanted to see Disney World. And he they let oh, right. him, yeah, they let him go yeah. to Hollywood, He's, but they oh, didn't let him go to Disneyland. That's, that's right. Like, that's powerful. Right. That's step too far. Can't, sorry, oh, how you gonna, can't get into Disneyland. Nah, <laughs> but I mean, you know, somebody had to tell the man no, you know, or at least mm. by way of his people, and that that's soft. That's diplomacy right there. I mean, like that could have that could have started an international incident. Oh. <laughs> Oh, they would let me go to Disneyland, eh? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. We'll but see Khrushchev, about that. Uh, let me present you to Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Much came, more popular than Disney. Yeah, okay. And he came back and he was like, those Yankees are freaks, man. <laughs> World's like, tallest man. Very, very entertaining. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> we have art right. museum. We have two-head cow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, we're anyway. done. Look, we're done here. Uh, we're done. Thank we're you, done. Talbot. Thank you, Talbot. We'll uh, be right back with another message from, not you, Talbot, but somebody else. Yeah, probably you. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. 
Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. All right, and we're back. Oh, man, this has been a good one today. This has been a good one. And this one is no exception. I'm going to jump right in with an email from Justin. Uh, Gentlemen, he says, I wanted to reach out to you in response to your recent episode about Neuralink. You guys had briefly touched on the idea of legacy support and upgradability for tech products and how uh, that might work when the product is part of your body. Funny enough, before that episode landed, I had just listened to this episode of NPR Science Friday that dealt with this exact issue. I think you'll find it super interesting. Uh, he gives a uh, link. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today, but I'll give you his uh, TLDR version. Company made uh, retinal implants for the blind. Company went bankrupt and was no longer there to provide product support for people who had these implants. This resulted in several users not being able to get broken implants fixed and not being able to get further safety information about their implants uh, when undergoing unrelated medical procedures such as MRIs and dental x-rays. This raises so many questions about the weird gray intersection of medical ethics and corporate responsibility. It's one thing if your phone stops working or slows down because of software issues, but what happens when it's something that directly affects how you sense the world around you? You can no longer get the latest updates, so you lose your vision. That doesn't seem right at all. History has shown us that legislation lags behind technology. How many people have had to be screwed over buying shady used cars before lemon laws became a thing. I worry that the same thing is going to happen when Neuralink type implants become more of a thing in our society. Um, in the future, what legal obligations will these companies have to their users? Would you feel comfortable getting a brain implant that significantly changes how you interact with the world if the fine print only guarantees product support for the lifetime of this current model or the lifetime of the company that produced it? Um, I think that's a really great place to stop, guys. I mean, this is just absolute red meat for the three of us. Um, I know because this is, you know, this is like where the line between sci-fi and kind of like <laughs> real fi kind of meet. You know, these are things that we only would have seen in like, you know, cyberpunk type type novels or, uh, you know, William Gibson and the like. Um, and now here it is. You know, we have these neural implants. We have this stuff that, uh, you know, these uh, brain kind of uh, interfaces that will allow you to send tweets and let you interact with metaverse type 3D, you know, internet um, presentations and environments. Uh, it's there, but it's not all the way there, <laughs> you know. Um, in fact, the article that uh, Jesse referenced from Science Friday um, I'm going a little bit more detail about the company in question. So the company, uh, it actually, this is a collaboration between Science Friday and IEEE Spectrum, which we have definitely mentioned a lot. And um, the patient in question is uh, Barbara Campbell, uh, and it describes her walking through New York City subway and describes how this bionic implant kind of allows you to see. Essentially, it creates sort of crude representations of you know sight like it's not exactly like you're getting full color full-blown sight back it's patches of light and dark that you're able to interpret and find your way you know through an environment um it's a more technologically advanced version of what say what a blind person does with a cane where they can kind of tap around them and see what's going on and then they're able to convert that to a mental image of what's going on so it's not a full um you know, replacement for, for vision. But all of a sudden, you know, there's the sound of, of three beeps and the system powers down. 
uh, and then no longer um, is she able to, to see these representations of light and dark. Uh, the company in question is Second Sight Medical Products. And another patient, uh, Terry Byland, is actually, as of the publication of this article, was the only person to have received uh, this type of implant uh, in both eyes. So I believe the, the previous uh, person that I was talking about, Barbara Campbell, um, only had it in one eye. And, um, you know, according to IEEE, uh, Terry Byland's kind of become, he kind of became this spokesperson for the company. Um, he got the implant in 2004, and then he got a different one in his left eye uh, 11 years later. So he was very much, you know, kind of early adopter of this. Um, he helped the company test this technology and kind of became, you know, not only uh, an early kind of, you know, uh, volunteer to have this tested on him, but then he became became a spokesperson going to different conferences, uh, doing lots of press, even met with Stevie Wonder. Um, and the quote from him saying, I went from just being a person that was doing the testing to being a spokesman. But in 2022, uh, he got some information, not directly from the company, but from somebody else uh, that heard through the grapevine that Second Sight was, in fact, filing for bankruptcy or, or very close to filing for bankruptcy um, and that they were going to abandon all the technology they had put out into the world. Um, and he was understandably shocked. Uh, he, as of, as of the time of this article um, in uh, IEEE, Spectrum said that everything was working okay, but he says, as long as nothing goes wrong, I'm fine. But if something does go wrong with it, well, I'm screwed because there's no way of getting it fixed. Because talk about proprietary. I mean, this is technology. This doesn't really exist anywhere else. There could be other companies developing things like this, such as, you know, Neuralink, but it's they're not going to be compatible. It would essentially be a complete re, you know, rebuild. You know, you'd have to start from scratch, which is, you know, sounds very difficult and complicated. Um, another person that was interviewed for this article, Ross uh, Dewar, found out about the company going um, under because he uh, got the implant in 2019. And uh, this is, you know, a later version where he actually was able to see colors and all of this stuff and was just absolutely, you know, thrilled. Um, but during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, he started to hear rumors that the company wasn't doing particularly well, and he gave a call to his rehab therapist, who was employed by Second Sight, who said, well, funny you called this exact moment. I actually just got laid off, um, and he was excited to be receiving some software updates to uh, this implant, uh, and then the um, person, former vision therapist, uh, said, and you're not going to be able to get your upgrades. Um so, you know, this is a big deal because this is a company that held uh, three patents and has more than 350 of these systems installed, I guess, for lack of a better term, all around the world. And they are now in a position where they are not able to service or, you know, uh, support any of these people anymore. So therein lies the ethical question. Like, I mean, it, you know, companies go under all the time, um, but. These are people's lives, people's livelihoods, you know, the, the, the quality of life that people are depending on these companies for. So it's not the same as, you know, planned obsolescence of an iPhone or, or an Android, and, you know, having to get a new device every couple of years. There has to be some kind of uh, accountability. Surely there's FDA oversight of these kinds of things, you know, for any kind of medical implantation to even be able to do that kind of stuff. But I just don't know how far it goes. 
Because to the point of our listener, the technology often, almost always, is light years ahead of the legislation. So I throw this to you guys, man. What do you think? It is, it, it is very sci-fi sounding, but it's a very real, functional human problem and question that needs to be addressed. You're absolutely right. It's a huge problem. I'm thinking about scale here. This was a fairly small startup company. It affected 350 people. Uh, and it is currently affecting 350 people. And I don't mean to minimize, you know, the problems that they're going to go through because this company folded and they had to abandon their tech. I think once a company gets a little higher scale, if it then gets in trouble the way this startup got in trouble and either needs a bailout or has to shutter, I think a bigger company like a Tesla, like a GM, like one of these bigger tech companies or Google would probably step in and purchase that company at a very low price because it is having problems and they would continue it on because there is absolute global good that's being provided here. There is opportunity, I think, in this kind of tech for, I hate to say this, the very wealthy. Rather than a fix a problem with an eye, enhance an eye. Now you got right. better sight. So or a heads a up display or something you know? instead of an mm-hmm. ownership society. Like I, I gotta, I, I gotta say, Justin, I massively appreciate this letter. And that's why I've said for years, you know, technology always outpaces legislation. It's just, unfortunately, the lay of the land. You can't regulate something until you understand what you're regulating. But the, um, I'm really glad that, that you latched on to this, this idea that we didn't have time to fully explore in our Neuralink episode. It's something that I've also spent quite a, quite a bit of time thinking about. Uh, we already see it in things like uh, consider heart valves, right? Uh, pacemakers, that kind of technology. Someone needs it every second of their life once it's in. Uh, how, do, how, how do you handle the ethics of that in a world where uh, or in a place like the U.S. where healthcare is privatized and monetized, to your point, Matt, and, and I didn't mean to uh, interject here on you guys. I just think these are very important points to raise. They're only going to become more important. It reminds me, I don't know if it's out in the world yet, but years ago I wrote a uh, short story about The Last Immortal, and it's about, it's a sci-fi story. It hasn't happened yet because uh, sci-fi is fiction, at least in the beginning. And uh, in this story, there is one person who is functionally immortal. They're physically immortal because they got all the cool upgrades, but after they got all these upgrades, the rest of what would be, you know, post-human society had better upgrades. They could change shape. They didn't have to be the same body all the time. They didn't have to have replacement parts. They could just grow them, except for this guy. And everybody made fun of him because he was kind of like the Model T on the interstate. And that sort of stuff can happen. Civilization is getting set up to do something like that. And one of the big, one of the big tipping points, inflection points for that, I would say, Justin, and, and I don't know what you guys think about this, but I, I would say the big tipping point is going to be when prosthetics or implantable devices, medical implants, become seen as better than the natural starting kit. You know what I mean? That's where we'll see even more of a divide that I think you're talking about, Matt. 
but that's that's my two cents, guys. Thanks. I think the tendency with this kind of thing is to like look at the really high tech stuff or like things that are like almost like you know um, bionic type situations, like replacing a limb or replacing eyes or something like that. But there are also incredible opportunities for things like um, for diabetics who need glucose monitoring. You know, like in 2018, the FDA approved a continuous glucose monitoring implant that uh, essentially is a surface mounted kind of uh, thing that goes you know into your skin and you're able to tap your phone on it and get, get, get glucose readings, um, you know, 365 uh, days a year. Um, so that's pretty neat. Uh, and so there are simpler, you know, ways that implants and things of that nature can absolutely benefit our lives beyond just like making us like the, what is it, the $600 million man or whatever, you know. Um, it's, it's definitely somewhere in between. But then you're right, there's also a massive market for the super rich who want like things like brain implants to let them, you know, maybe communicate telepathically or whatever it might be. I'm, I'm being a little ridiculous here, but I mean, I, it's not that far off. You know, we know these things are possible. I mean, the guy that, what was it? Somebody sent it a, 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 a brain tweet recently or posted something talking about how they wanted to hear the new Tool album and yeah, then he really they wanted, wanted a Miller Lite. Mm-hmm. They yeah. wanted Miller Lite. The beer is so good you can drink it with your mouth and they wanted a, uh, they wanted to listen to the new Tool album. Uh, they don't, they, they sent it, you're absolutely right, they sent it entirely through the power of thought. Really? So we're getting there. <laughs> but uh, gotta be careful because if you get this stuff uh, implanted and then all of a sudden there's no support for it or you know uh, they gotta be so can you imagine like um, if a software update like bricked your implant and we've seen that happen you know bad software updates go through all the time or what if the, does it then expose you if your device is internet connected to get something like a like a wanna cry you know like some sort of virus in your mm. implants or in your i mean you know we talk about that all the time with like, you know, self-driving cars and the idea of them being connected to the Internet and how important it is that things like nuclear power plants are not connected to the Internet. So, I mean, presumably, if you're sending a tweet with your mind, then your mind is somehow connected to the Internet. And I just want to know what the implications of that are. You know, I, I'm not oh. living under any uh, any illusions that all of a sudden somebody could like, you know, control you Manchurian candidate style. It's not that nature. It's not the nature of the implant. But who knows? If you can send information out, maybe somebody could send information in. Yeah. Well, here's a good thing, guys. Uh, if there is some kind of problem with the implants in the future, the spies who hang out over at the Killenworth Mansion will hear about it because they're watching, right? They'll alert Marcus Hutchins, and he will immediately start working on the problem. <laughs> You're welcome. I love it when we tie all the stories <laughs> together in the end. We don't always do it, but when we do... Ah, it's chef's kiss. And we hope you enjoyed these stories as much as we did, folks. There's more to come on these. Thank you, of course, to Talbot. Thank you to Justin. Thank you to Brett over there on Facebook. And thanks to everybody who took time out of their day to tune in and took time to share some strange stories from around the world and, you know, occasionally outer space and inner space. Uh, if you want to be part of the conversation, we of course would love to have you. You can contact us any number of ways. If you're listening to a podcast, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you probably have access to the internet. So maybe you can find us online. 
Yes, point your uh, brain, internet browser device uh, to uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, or YouTube, where you can find us at the handle Conspiracy Stuff or Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. If you don't want to do any of that stuff or your brain, you know, your, your, your device is on the fritz, well, there's another way. You can reach us by telephone. Yes. Pick up your telephone, you call your local bookstore, and you say, hey, I don't want to use Amazon. I don't want to give zaddy bezos any of my money i want to order stuff they don't want you to know from you and you just because <laughs> that's our book and you can pre-order if you want it would be amazing you please don't feel like you need to but it would be awesome no no feel like you need to you need to <laughs> you need to you need to <laughs> but really do get at your local bookstore but make sure you pre-order it because that's important uh the whole van thing listen to the other episodes ben explains it there's really a, there's a honda odyssey <laughs> Wait, did we just did we establish the color of the Odyssey? Blue, I imagine. Oh, I see the like no red comment. ones. Yeah. <laughs> no, no you're not going to do surveillance in a red van. How much how much more conspicuous can you be? You get a ticket just for sitting there. Ah, oh, but you don't have to do any of that. Don't worry about any of those things. The van's fine. Uh, it's just it's just a friend. Worry about it. Uh, worry about you it. You can call our number and leave us a voicemail. It is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. When you call in, give yourself a cool nickname. Give me anything. Let your heart go wild when you call in. Whatever your heart desires. And you've got three minutes. Please let us know if we can use your voice and message on the air and the name that you've given yourself. That's very helpful. And uh, again, if you've got more to say than you can fit in that three-minute voicemail message, why not instead write it all down in an email and send it to us? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's KidSafe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. 
Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you.